0: Hey welcome. You're listening to My Teeth Need Attention. This is episode 10 if you're counting. Thanks for tuning in. In today's episode, I had the uh, fortune of talking with Bill McKay, uh, amazing guitar player based out of Chicago, Illinois. Uh, we talk about his uh, early years. Um, he grew up for for a time in Rochester. Uh, Though we didn't know each other when he lived here. That was when he was a kid and I didn't live here. Uh, So we talked about his early days of learning guitar and uh, playing for his his brother and his friends uh, at their house. And uh, then his various moves around the U.S. His collaborations with uh, people like Riley Walker and Katinka Klein and Nathan Bowles. Uh, We kind of touch on the nature of improv a little bit and uh how that informed how he plays and stuff like that so uh yeah let's get into it i want to thank uh bill for giving me the time for the interview hope he had a good time i had a blast talking to him and uh we'll get into it we're gonna i'm gonna play uh some tracks from him first then we'll get into the interview and then i'll end the show with some more uh pieces that either uh either a solo or collaborations Um, and he also just recently played on the brand new Riley Walker uh, LP so I'm going to play a track from that as well Uh, you can check out myteethneedattention.com for the various links to uh, how you can listen to this in podcast apps and Mixcloud and you can also become a Patreon and there's links up there this first track I'm going to play uh, is by Bill. It's solo. It's called Powder Mill Park. We kind of talk about this in the interview. Uh, it's named after a park uh, near his childhood home here in Rochester, Rochester area. Uh, it's from the Esker LP on Drag City. So we'll get into that and then we'll get into the interview. quick i want to thank you for uh joining me and uh i hope you're doing well out there in chicago right in chicago yeah thanks yeah. for having me
1: joe yeah it was such a pleasure to meet up um cool. yeah in chicago um yeah i've been here about me and my wife have been here like 20 years which is just oh wow you know like every couple decades it just seems to have blown by when you don't think of all of the minutiae of it
0: i thought you just moved out there like five or ten years ago
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. I've been rambling around for a while. You know, it was like, we actually are both from Pittsburgh and I'm earlier from Rochester, um, but then lived in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, two Pittsburgh's sa- sandwiched, Rochester, Rochester was in the middle um, going way back to, you know, family days. And uh, but yeah, we've been, um, we lived in Boston briefly in and Denver and, and uh, Portland. And then we moved from here from Portland, like way back. Ninety, ninety-eight 98 or something 99
0: okay what yeah. what prompts what prompts the moves is it usually a job on her end or something on your end or or just you know, a of- lot of it
1: was just whimsy we were just yeah
0: <laughs> yeah just exploring uh
1: you know <laughs> growing out of being reckless adolescents probably and yeah. or continuing it actually um so a lot of it was like that and i think um you know portland in the 90s was such a great place to be in a lot of ways you know it was just such a Shangri-La like nobody we knew had to work a whole lot you know had a pretty nice life like rent was super cheap and things were mellow there was a lot of good music happening Um, but also a certain kind of like uh, you know a kind of um, I don't know what to call it just something monotonous sort of like came into that period for some reason and uh, it just we were kind of craving a, a bigger city life again I think and and more more stuff that we could do you know. Uh, knowing that there was so much like brewing in Chicago musically for me was a big thing.
0: Yeah. So Portland was right before Chicago? Yeah. Well, right. 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then Pittsburgh. uh, So, you know, real quick. So you grew up, you were born in Rochester, the Rochester area. I was born around New York uh, City,
1: like Terrytown. Yeah. And then folks, even then, that's probably why I have this rambling thing in my bones, you know, because the folks moved around so much. My dad changed jobs a bunch, so, Um, but we eventually were in um, Pittsburgh when I was just a, a kid, you know, like three, four, five or something, and then went to Rochester, which was largely 70s, and then, you know, a little early 80s, and then went to Pittsburgh as a kid, still, or that's so. That's where I kind of was a, you know, more like a school and um, getting into trouble in adolescence and adolescence. Yeah, all that. so high
0: school happened in Pittsburgh then.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, okay. Yeah, but my mom stayed in Rochester for a long time, and the parents have passed now. But um, she was there for like quite a while, so I maintained ties and would go back, um, mm-hmm. and then maintain ties with some friends there. Um, some of them have kind of lost, I've lost touch with now, unfortunately. Sure. But
2: yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, you know, I kind of remembered uh, one of your – I'm trying to remember which record it was. You had a track called Powder Mill Park, I think. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and that's, that's when I was right, like, yes. wait a minute, Powder Mill Park, because I used to work like right outside the park. Oh, really? Um, yeah, because there's like – I'm a tech dude, and there's like a bunch of little tech companies all around that area of, you know, Pittsburgh, Bushnell Basin kind of exactly. thing. Bushnell yeah, Basin. so we yeah, used to go and like hang out, and we'd like – uh We'd bring a hibachi to work and cook out <laughs> at Potterville Park just to get oh, out of the my. office and not go to a, uh, a restaurant all the time, like in the summer. Oh, right, uh, right. Yeah, so we'd like hang out and have a cookout for lunch and stuff. And oh, yeah, that how was cool. one of our haunts. So how yeah. funny that
1: you know that place like uh, well, is also.
0: Yeah, yeah, a, yeah, a good friend of mine lived uh, that I worked with lived through that park. Uh, it was like almost in the park. I mean, there's those weird, like the mushroom homes. Oh, yeah. In the park? Yeah. Yeah, So you drive through there, and then there's a neighborhood back there that he lived in. And he actually, uh, do you know Otto Hauser?
1: Otto Hauser? You know
0: of Otto? Yeah. Yeah. So he grew up there, and he actually went to school with my buddy that I worked with. And they they went to, I think, uh, Pittsburgh High Schools, I think. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, I didn't know that he was around there as well. Yeah. And that's how I know
0: Otto. Yeah, I interviewed Otto a couple episodes ago uh and so yeah we played together years ago before he moved away uh after he came back from college uh he was here for years and then he moved to philly into new york and stuff oh yeah
1: far out i didn't yeah. realize that that's that's amazing because yeah that those uh we were so entranced with that mushroom house back then i didn't realize there were more houses back there
0: yeah there's like, like a neighborhood that. if you go all the way through the park there's like a whole neighborhood a whole tract of probably yeah. a couple neighborhoods yeah
1: that's amazing. Yeah, because we weren't really far off from that, which is probably why that uh, came to me as a, you know, uh, image for that song and stuff, because we were so close. That's so we spent a lot of time there because I, I lived right at, at 45 Park Road, which was that road that went through the park oh, and okay. the other side. And right as you exited the park, really, there were like uh, started to be a homes and residential neighborhood. And then just up the hill is like 45 Park Road and the uh, elementary school. Um, what I think it's called, Park Road Elementary School. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Right across the street. So.
0: And the fish hatchery um, was that around when you were there? You oh yeah, the fish hatchery. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah absolutely. There's a lot of dis- distinct weird spots in the park that that I recall like that.
0: Yeah, I would bring my kids out there and they would just like stare at all these fish and these weird concrete, you know, <laughs> things pins right. Right, right. They got a kick out of it, you know. because oh, you sorry, rarely that. see that many fish together, you know, unless you're deep sea diving or something. So. Oh,
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, we did the same thing. I think we were totally entranced by that because yeah, you'd never see this multitude of fish just like, some, you know, sh- shining in the sun and like, yeah, yeah, in these vats or whatever. Yeah, these like <laughs> weird basins.
0: <laughs> so, uh so when you uh when did you start playing? Did you start playing as a, a young kid or high school or?
1: Yeah, I started playing when I was nine and I was in, in Rochester and, um, yeah, I just saw, um, a guitar one day and I'd been getting into like, you know, fr- mostly older records, older friends and brothers records and stuff like that. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, there was lots of music in the, in the house, but when I started to get my own sort of records like kiss and stuff like that and, um, and then, you know, moving quickly on to like m- more serious stuff, Beatles and things like that. And, uh, I was, uh, yeah, I just saw this uh, guitar. Became tranced with the guitar for, for some reason, and then um, and I just saw one in like a Sears or something. I was with my mom, and she was like, "All right, what the hell? It's like twenty bucks. We'll get yeah. you this guitar, this little Sunburst acoustic guitar."
0: Like Silvertone? Were, uh, no, they, no, it wasn't. But it they was. Did, uh, they didn't no, make was, uh, uh,
1: acoustics, right? I think it. They did, but it was something else, but similar to that. Oh, okay. You know? And uh, and then um, the woman at the I remember who sold us the guitar said, hey, if you want lessons, you know, my husband teaches and she had his cards (laughs) and gave us the card. And all I remember is it was Mr. Clark. So it was Mr. and Mrs. Clark, thank you very much um, (laughs) for your contributions. Um, And uh, yeah, it was really funny. I like to, I've told this a few times, but I do like to mention it because it's it's humorous to me um, that Mr. Clark was, he was rather older at the time, I suppose, like, or to me anyway, but he definitely... You know how kids will think people in their 30s are like 100. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he definitely was older, like 60s probably. And um, and I remember he had these long fingernails, and we were going over like teaching me reading and stuff. And then I started to send him tunes, like I'd like to learn rock and roll by Led Zeppelin, and who knows what he thought of listening to the song mm-hmm. remains the same. <laughs> but it's an easy rock and roll form, so you teach me that. But uh, so we'd have these half hour lessons, and he'd probably have like two or three cigarettes in that time. And I, it always cracks me up to tell people that because it would be unthinkable to have your yeah, kid right. study with a, <laughs> a teacher who was smoking at the lesson.
0: Dude, my dad, I would go to, my dad worked at, a, he was a trucker, uh, but by the time I was born, I'm the youngest of my family. By the time I was born, he was in the office as like a dispatcher, uh, who's a guy oh. who like tells the trucks where to go and stuff like oh, that. Oh, sure, dispatcher. Yeah, and uh, I would go visit him at his office. And it was kind of a long office, and it overlooked the docks. And there were like four or five guys who worked in there. And when you walked in, you couldn't see the other wall. There was so much smoke in the room. They just smoked. Everybody in the office smoked. And there were just gigantic ashtrays, like 12 inches diameter, diameter, just mounded with ashes and butts. (laughs) Absolutely. and you just walk through and i'm like oh my and you know i growing up my parents smoked and stuff like that and it drove me nuts because i couldn't stand it oh um, right right and it, yeah so going to work I, like I, you can't even think about you know that yeah
1: no it's just incredible yeah i remember yeah. those things very well like i made an ashtray in kindergarten <laughs> <Like> we <literally laughs> made ashtrays <laughs> and yeah same as you like if even if your parents didn't smoke like mine didn't didn't smoke But they felt it was very necessary for you to accommodate people who smoked, who came over. You never really say no. And you'd have, you know, the ashtray that your son made in kindergarten.
0: He'd pull it out for special occasions, Now it would be like a jewel holder or something like that, or, you know, (laughs) right, or like a bong stand or something, you know, yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah, the legal bong stand. (laughs) so weird oh
1: um, so i started playing and that's what all started it you know
0: yeah so uh that i mean that was just like general uh guitar you were learning on acoustic but it wasn't like finger picking or anything like that right it was it was just normal no. like just technique of playing an acoustic guitar and learning rock songs or whatever totally exactly yeah,
1: yeah. and i never really you know I'll tell you the truth i never really approached uh anything as sort of a finger picking as a style style you know that was like related to certain music because i've always been a hybrid picker actually like i always played with the pick i always do and uh sort of like or probably i developed some just picking and plucking with fingers later as i realized i could do more with it you know and um And on that note, I shortly after Mr. Clark, I had lessons um, with a guy named Kevin Morrison in Rochester, who was a really brilliant classical guitarist. I think he lives up in like Maine or Vermont now. But uh, I had brief lessons with this guy. And that's that really opened my mind to what you could do with that contrapuntal motion, you know, keeping like a melody bass going Mm -hmm. and all that stuff. And uh, so um, it's interesting that they they just call that classical guitar like it's not finger picking or anything. But that's right it's all finger, you know, but, uh, later I was like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not sort of giving up where I'm at with learning rock and playing blues and all that stuff and started to incorporate that, the, the plucking of strings with the pick, you know? So that was, uh, yeah. So then it's, um, it's sort of, those things started to merge. And I, I think early on, I saw that the, all of the, those techniques or a bunch of techniques from classical guitar could sort of lead into this other thing you know that you could fuse them
0: right yeah it's uh i was wondering if you knew of ken you know kenlock nelson nelson do you know this guitar player
1: i'm not sure i know that
0: name yeah he's he's actually uh he's still around he lives in pittsburgh um yeah thompson square um about a year ago now it's longer than that because it was pre-pandemic um was reissuing this record and they were like, yeah, this is the seminal record. And it's like from the seventies, you know, Fahey esque uh, and I'm, and I'm reading it and it mentions Rochester and like Pittsburgh. I'm like, what? Who is, and yeah, sure enough, this guy, um, you can read a lot about it on, um, on Thompson square site and liner notes for the record that they reissued. Yeah. The whole idea of the record was like, he was a, he was a teenager and he like, he got in a car accident and like all of his stuff just went all over the place, I think, including his guitar. And then he sort of wrote a record about that accident and
1: stuff. Wow. Interesting.
0: Um, And he he did like a release party at the bop shop, which is a, you know, record store in town. It's been around for years. And the owner I think knew him back then too. Um, Maybe not as teenagers, but after that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and he gives guitar lessons and stuff still. And a friend of mine like reached out and took was taking some lessons from him and stuff like that. Wow, um, cool. Yeah, it's it's really so it was kind of interesting that he's also Pittsford related. For those of you not from Rochester, I'm saying Pittsford, not Pittsburgh, because um, I know when I moved here, everybody kept saying Pittsford, and I'm like, what the, why do they keep mentioning Pittsburgh? It's not that oh, close. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, it's somehow so close to, enough <laughs> just to differentiate that. Yeah. That's a great distinction. Uh, make, which is just yeah. a, you know, suburb on the east side of the city and stuff like that. But yeah, it's right. kind of interesting that there's like these weird little uh connections uh in the town. I mean, you know, there's a yeah. musical history everywhere, but yeah, yeah. But it's still, it's good to know about them. Yeah, and I'm yeah.
1: curious now to look him up because I, I haven't heard him before. And,
0: yeah. Yeah. He and, put out um, maybe like two records back then. And then um, I think he sort of went more into like away from from, uh, you know, like Fahey style uh, music into more um, classical. I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it. Um, yeah I think he started like designing his own guitars even and stuff like that. Oh wow, um, yeah ambitious um, but, but yeah, yeah yeah pretty pretty weird stuff yeah I'm interested
1: um, to yeah. to look them up and uh just for the music's sake and um, but also it is interesting how places will have uh, uh yeah and just the uh, minds of people and things that you didn't know were there uh, right, right, right you know there was like like Chris Cady, i don't know if you know him, um, but he was in a a group called Slipped and Fell which was uh, way back when, but they were these, these uh, Chris's house was in Pittsburgh close by. And they were our first me and my gaggle of friends. First guys we were in awe with who had these electric guitars and would play. And then slowly we'd kind of get up the gumption to sort of knock on their side door and say, can we <laughs> come in and see you guys play? And I remember him and I forget the other guitar player in the band, or there were three of them or something. But, but the two of them had these amazing Stratocasters, which just seemed golden, you know, and they would, I think many times we saw them basically play along to uh, a side of um, Europe 72, Grateful Dead, with uh, Jack Straw on it and like China Cat Sunflower and stuff. And we'd just be in awe and they would be learning, you know, the, Jerry's licks and stuff like yeah. that. Um, but anyway, so- he's, I mentioned him because he still plays and is still in the area.
0: Oh, that's and awesome. That's
1: a lot of stuff on Instagram, like live live stuff. So
0: how old were you when you were doing this? You were in like probably middle school or something when you were Oh. Man, something
1: like that. Yeah, that was near the end. Probably I was like eleven or twelve, something like that. And I was yeah, and I was doing a lot of electric guitar then too. I sort of picked up the electric and was um when my mom was sort of away on weekends because parents got divorced, um, and uh as we had some, we would have some pretty wild parties. So I started to play at the house a lot. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I would learn a bunch of tunes pretty quickly because I early on had a really fast ear. So um, sometime in the night, usually after uh, my brother and his friends had, you know, listened to a lot of records and drank a lot of beer, would just say, hey, Billy, why don't you just play? So I would play these kind of electric guitar concerts solo. And uh, I was... As,
0: As an 11 or 12 year old. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's awesome. You know, playing. All and your brother's tunes. older, right? You're, yeah, I'm, he's like know, four I'm years suiting, older. Right? And, yeah, yeah, right. So I'd have
1: like a couple originals in there and a bunch of tunes and and um, yeah. Sometimes I I think about that like oh that was some really early prep for stuff I'm doing you know I've been doing and I'm still doing now He's playing solo that kind of thing yeah yeah keeping it going you know
0: yeah wow it's pretty amazing did you uh in school, were you playing music? I mean, you weren't probably playing guitar. They schools rarely have guitar as a instrument, right? You could right. Take it. right. Yeah. There were
1: only a couple of times that I tried to do that. Um, there were a couple, I think, plays I was in where they'd be like, Oh, you, you can play the farmer, you know, he plays guitar in this play. You can play a few chords. I remember I did yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, there was stuff like that. I was in band a couple times in Pittsburgh in high school. It went to two different high schools, um, and uh, but as I remember, yeah, very little happened. You know, I think the main thing was that uh, I did play in a couple musicals, and uh, that was interesting because I'd have these high school bands, like cover the cover band thing that high schoolers do, and uh, or frequently do, uh, and then uh, there were these um musicals like Cole Porter and stuff and I remember mm-hmm. playing in the sort of pit band because I would had enough lessons you know my my parents had been very encouraging of me playing music actually um, so I'd had enough lessons through um my my various teachers that uh I could read pretty well and stuff like that so um it ended up being pretty pretty fun pretty good experience you know in another way and i'd uh, sort of do that and I remember one of them for Cole Porter in Pittsburgh we the bass player in the pit band for that was also in in my rock band so it was interesting we're like playing Cole porter at this (laughs) rehearsals and performances for anything goes or something i think that was the one and then going off and rehearsing you know playing um black sabbath and acdc and Yeah, yeah uh the kinks and um of course and that was you know a pretty fun band actually because we as is probably the case all over the the covers don't make any sense together it's just an amalgam of music everybody's listening to so as a set of music it goes from you know sentimental lady by fleetwood mac to um to paranoia by the kinks yeah there's an iron maiden song in there you know there was like a, you know i i think i sent, played and sang cold turkey by john lennon and so it was he <laughs> did i want to hold your hand it was crazy you know
0: yeah I noticed you had a bunch of releases early on that seemed to be band centric. Um, Yeah. The darts and arrows. Is that the band name? They're listed a little weird, like on discogs and stuff. Yeah. So so you started playing basically more in a band like lineup.
1: Yeah. I was like, it it seemed like those years when I was getting into like the uh, you know, almost between yeah. Like basically a lot of my twenties, I kind of, was really, I don't know. I was writing a lot of music and a lot of things were coming out and we re- doing a lot of four track recordings and different stuff. But I sort of struggled to find like bands that seemed to fit what I wanted to do, you know, and, or I, I was a little directionless too on it off and on. So mm-hmm. um, there was a, basically there was a trio that was really cool in Portland, um, which we just sort of changed the name off and on. It was sort of a punk surf kind of blues mixture, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, playing all that that sort of spy type stuff from the sixties too. And
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, some originals, it was quite fun with an artist named, uh, named Alex Lilly. And it was mostly us like two guitars, drums, that kind of thing. And, uh, but here, yeah, when I got to Chicago, I think after not too long, I um, started to put together those bands and the names, it would be a sort of loose assembly of people, but the bands with names were kind of changing, but it was a, it was a little bit of a family of people. So it was sort of like there was a, a record called Bill McKay, Sounds of Now. And then I had um, the next one was a, the band name was Broken Things. And then it became Darts and Arrows. So it was a little bit of a line and the people were changing. But there were some players who were pretty consistent. Yeah. yeah. During that yeah, time. Yeah. So
0: Charles Rumbach, uh, Rumbach plays on a couple of those. Yeah. yeah.
1: Charles Rumbach. Exactly. Yeah. He's on some. And, and then Greg Ward, when there was a horn, Greg Ward was playing sax and then. Um, later, uh Ben Boy, who plays with Ty Siegel now, okay. on all of the darts and arrows, those three records he's on. And uh yeah, Kyle Hernandez on bass and Todd Hill on bass and Jason the Gemian played bass sometimes too. Uh so it was uh it was a little reflective of the of the improvised and, and jazz scenes here because I was yeah. orienting that way a little bit, you know, when I got here. Yeah, yeah. And um,
0: geez, early two thousands was it was just going nuts there
1: it was totally going nuts. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And though I was looking, I've said this before, but though I was looking for people to really play rock, um, I just, for whatever reason really wasn't meeting people that, uh, although a lot was happening here in, in rock and experimental rock. Um, I wasn't really meeting the people, you know, hitting off with people exactly. So, um, being that I had these diverse interests and could improvise and stuff, I, I kind of gravitated towards these jam sessions and the jazz and improv scenes. And, and so, I said, "Oh, okay. Well, I'm just—it's still me. I'm I'm writing this music, and I'm just orienting it this way." Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, um, and then I think it really started to come to fruition with those darts and arrows records. Those are, um, you know, where the just elements seem to like make sense, and um, um, the I liked the hybridness of it. You know, right, right, right. Yeah. And
0: uh, with those, were you writing? You were writing the material primarily and
1: almost yeah almost all uh, collaborator. yeah i think ben uh ben boy i think he the keyboardist he has a song each on the last two so on uh, eyes of the carnival and then altamira he has like a one tune each which are really pretty mm-hmm. uh but i was uh writing all of the they were i was kind of leading those bands so they were i was writing the material too yeah yeah, and uh yeah so it was a, it was a good education
0: Now, what kind of, um, were you doing your kind of hybrid picking and, you know, using your fingers more in that band or like, is that something that you started doing more when you got solo and you started trying to realize you needed to sort of fill things out?
1: Um, I think, you know, going back, actually, you know, Joe, I think that it was always with me. Yeah. It was really just dependent on the situation I was orienting it to. Mm -hmm. Um, because I, early on, even going back to like, um, some of the gigs that were not with the trio in Portland, I was also playing cafes and things like that by myself. Oh, and, okay. uh, with, and some of them were just some of my loveliest memories, you know, these even just playing some of the most tiny places for almost nobody, but yeah. there was something about it, you know, <laughs> something about that, you know, uh, just melancholy to it or something. But more than that, um, they were sort of great, great little places to just develop and sort of like explore yourself, you know, and just play a bunch of sets. And and um, yeah, so um, it was sort of a line I realized that was going through everything, you know, playing and, and keeping the space somewhat full and learning how to keep a line going and keep the bass or um, play a song that way, because I had although I had also been working on tunes with singing i often wasn't integrating those into my live sets you know or or bands really they were just like this other thing oh, okay which i've been last few years i've been you know it's sort of like risen up and sort of risen into the song the last couple records and then playing live too i'm i'm always singing some things which feels really great and feels really right you know yeah yeah it sort of reappeared at the at the right time and um
0: yeah. I, when I first came across your material, it was mostly instrumental and then it was kind of neat how all of a sudden your voice started showing up, you know, cause you know, most guitar player, you know, you're known as a guitar player. So you're going to be playing instrumentals and put out a lot of records. And it's kind of neat to see this evolution. I mean, like if you listen to the latest Daniel Bachman, the latest record and then the one before that, like he's doing these field recordings and, you know, yeah. and I've known him for so many records of just, you know, he's a, you know, finger picking guitar, absolutely. Um, you know, pretty much consistently. And then all of a sudden like this new stuff comes up and you're like, Oh, that's great to see, you know, someone changing and uh, yeah, I'm not going to say growing, but changing, you know, and yeah, changing. not right. being afraid to like start mixing in new things. And yeah, it was great to hear your vocals start coming out in the last couple. Yeah.
1: Oh, that's great to hear. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That's really, that's really Cool to hear. Um, Cause uh,
0: yeah, I feel the same.
1: I get excited by that kind of thing. And, uh, and it's, we, we have to follow those muses and, and stuff that appears and uh, take some leaps and stuff like that. Right. And, so, uh, and hopefully speak- we always will, you know?
0: Yeah. And speaking of people who do that. So Riley Walker, you've done a couple records with him. Yeah. He put out, I forget. My buddy John went to see him. Uh, it was after, the, I think it was after the Primrose green record. I forget round uh, roundabouts on it, I think. And um, he's telling me about it. And it seemed like a record that my buddy wouldn't be into. Cause it seemed to like, it reminded me of gastro del soul kind of. Um, and oh, then sure. I, I'm like thinking, I'm like, I think I got a record by this guy. And I pull out like, it's on American tapes and this total noise record. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh yeah. and then I start tracking down Riley stuff. I'm like, man, this dude is like a chameleon. Like he is just, awesome just varying styles you know he's got his band stuff he does the solo stuff he does collaboration stuff like with you uh he did a record i think with charles right um yeah two they've done two
1: yeah exactly yeah absolutely yeah i i dig that too and yeah uh, so how did you guys
0: how did you guys come about uh playing together was it chicago or
1: yeah it was chicago yeah we um Basically, we met at. Um, I mentioned Ben Boya before. Uh, he was at his birthday party, and it was about 2015. Um, his birthday party here in Chicago, and uh, we had just, I think, just heard of each other kind of recently on the scene here um, through Ben and through other friends. And then uh, we just got talking, and it was a very rambunctious, lively scene, and I just had this like great talk and uh, and you know about getting together and. and doing something and then we started to play at my not far from my neighborhood here in Pilsen um, we started to play um, just meet up a little bit play informally at my house and uh, then right around that time it was like January of 15 I think I had a residency like a four week residency at this place called the Whistler and uh, invited Riley to do it with me and so we had been quickly kind of accruing some material. So um, that made it even nicer. So we could go in and actually have some stuff. Um, Although it was very fun improvising together too, but we had some music to some songs to play and um, mix it up over the two sets. And um, yeah, we we played a set. And then Billy from the Whistler who, uh, Billy Helmkamp who owns the Whistler um, and had a label or still does called Whistler Records he just heard a set of it and um, he really liked it. And the, the reaction was very nice in the, in the audience. And he said, uh, invited us to do the record and record or asked if he could record it and put it out. We're like, great. So that became that Land of Plenty record. Oh, that was the first one we did. And uh, we kind of took, I think we took mostly from two nights of it, maybe three, a bit from the third or, Uh, or a a bit from a third night but most of it was from two of the four nights and um
0: yeah so that material you're it's not all improv you're you're working on pieces is that how you guys work together yeah working on pieces
1: some were more filled in at more melody than others and some were more shells and um, a a more basic framework um yeah but uh but yeah but we hit it off and i think we realized we have this chemistry so um, so it was really nice to kind of start off with this, this live record that, uh, has a pretty, uh, to me, like a pretty lovely kind of raw sound, mm-hmm. but, uh, but have it be live, but also, um, new material. So it's just a little unusual. People do it, of course, but
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you've done two together right now. Yeah. We did a
1: yeah. one in seven seventeen 17, um, called spider beetle bee. Yeah. Right. And that was um, after I had Esker on Drag City. Then I uh, talked to to them about doing the one that we had, which we had already in the can. We had recorded, I think, in, in 2016, maybe. So um, so that came out. So, the, yeah, the two are a nice contrast. And then we've done some other stuff together, too. Um, and I played on a few records of his also.
0: Oh, yeah, you were involved in the record that just came out a couple months ago you yeah, recorded um, it maybe last year right out in chicago
1: yeah of course in fable um okay. that one and then there uh is some playing i did on the previous one also oh, okay and, uh, yeah and we have like we also did an interesting like 20 minute composition which are a 20 minute improv that's on a uh cd that uh, hypnotic pulse of the reindeer range which was uh, this improv. And we're both on organ on part of it and we're moving instruments in the middle of it.
0: <laughs> that's great. <laughs> it was. Wait, really is, is that just the two of you guys or that's a that one,
1: Yeah, that oh, one's just the two of us too. Okay. Nobody knows about it. We, we've sent it out like we got a bunch of copies from Brent Goodsite who did it and uh, on his radio show. And it's uh, we've we've sent out, you know, to friends like included them in packages and all this stuff, but it's gotten very little attention.
0: Oh, I,
1: I see. I, I quite like it. It's about 20, 25 minutes maybe.
0: I was going to say, I didn't see this around. So it's not for yeah, sale yeah. somewhere. It's just.
1: I don't, I don't think, I, I think it's, it's like it is on the, his bandcamp page or something like that. Oh, okay. Um. Yeah. If you get a chance to check it out, you you might enjoy it. It's, it's might pretty experimental piece.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I buy too much music. Yeah. I'll send you one. <laughs> it's, it's such a hard time keeping track of stuff. Oh,
1: absolutely! Um, I can see your records right
0: yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> so you did a uh, a release with I'm gonna butcher the name Katinka, uh, Legend yeah, Klein, Klein, just, just Klein, oh, it's it's, Klein. It's, just Klein. It's, just it's the Dutch w- much way of uh, okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, how, yeah. How name. did how did that uh, come about?
1: Well, Katinka and me have been friends for quite a while now. um uh, so we've uh, also just through the scene, and you know she's a um, she came into it through uh, some mutual friends, and then she's a, I don't know if you know this, but she's uh, a cellist, been, been a cellist with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra for years. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, she's a super super badass um, musician and just um, great friend. And she got into improvising at some point here in Chicago, I think mostly. And uh, yeah, we just, uh, similarly, we just sort of had said, hey, we should play sometime. And I think I had a gig and I was like, I'd like to try this guitar and cello with you. And um, we had a, yeah, chemistry kind of just appeared pretty quickly. And so we've been playing, um, uh, that one came out in 2019, I believe. And so we've probably been doing shows on and off sporadically for like the, I wanna say, uh, you know, three, four years four or five years before that mm-hmm. um and uh, most mostly improv and but for stir i wrote some themes and we played on those and there's improv also and there's okay. there's a lot of improv on the themes but the, there were some definite themes for it yeah and, did she
0: was she improving a lot before you guys kind of met and started working together or do you, know? you know
1: i think it, I, th- I don't think it's so much i think yeah. some things here and there i think i was one of the early i believe i was one of the early people that that she improvised with.
0: Yeah. And yeah, then I've she, had friends then who are done
1: with lots of stuff, you know?
0: Yeah. I've had friends. So we have, you know, Eastman school of music in town. I don't know if you remember that or not. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I've, you know, there's uh, you'll get a crossover between like, you know, a uh, rock band experimental scene and, and kids that go there. And um, I know some of them have a hard time improving because you get in this regiment of kind of, you, you know, it's grueling. Uh, even from probably high school, uh, getting ready to go to a conservatory, you know, music school. And then, you know, it's a hard shift. Um, Completely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I've noticed, noticed the same thing and it's sort of a, a bit of a uh, topic, you know, that I've seen in various journals and stuff. Like, Oh yeah. I forget the guy's name. He played with Dixie Dregs. Is it Mark the violinist, but he's like a, you know he plays all kinds of stuff, like super okay. virtuoso. Um, I'm forgetting his name right now, but he wrote a really interesting piece about that, how he thought that that was a complete that was really to the detriment of of young classical musicians, yeah, that are not encouraged to improvise and how much it you know enable and enables them to um, to play not only that music, their music better, but to, to also to have this other branch of music that they play and uh, he cited a lot of examples of people that he felt um became ultimately frustrated with only being able to play when some music was put in front of them on paper right right and um that it had led to all these you know problems and issues and um so yeah it it's interesting i've i've seen that quite a bit before too and yeah. um which makes um it's doubly kind of impressive I, I suppose when you see somebody like Katinka who to me is so natural with that and just sort of uh, has that willingness to just take lots of dives and, and leaps into unknown territory.
0: Yeah yeah I um, I ran an art space with uh, a bunch of people in town it actually started uh, before I was involved with it by a couple of Eastman kids and they were using it as more of a like a rehearsal space and uh, to do kind of weirder things that they couldn't quite book at uh the school yeah uh, i remember doing we got asked to we were part of like the uh this the public market area i don't know if you know but that but um maybe it's downtown yeah you would probably be like too young maybe you've gone to it but it's an outdoor you know farmer's market kind of thing yeah our art space is there and we got asked to kind of organize the music around some event and we're like yeah we could do that and one of the ideas was me and my buddy and uh this woman who was classically trained uh bassoonist we were gonna improv so we got together to like you know just practice sort of you know just see how it went yeah. and it was, she just me and my buddy started you know and i don't know what i'm doing i'm really in most of my instruments Yeah. do it and figure it out right and so Before. we start she's just looking at us and we're waiting for her to come in and she's just looking at us and we stop and we're like what's wrong she's like what are you guys doing i don't and we're like just play <laughs> like yeah you you have this amazing yeah. tool set in your head that i do not have <laughs> right like right. apply it you know but it was yeah. this it was a it was a hurdle for her um yeah you know she's super talented uh i could play just a wide variety of music but like when it came to Sort of making something something up on the spot. Um, yeah, it was difficult. Yeah, exactly. Was like, wow, yeah, so weird. Like you have this, I don't this, know, like a massive skill set. Um, yeah, but and you played all these things. Yeah, yeah.
1: No, that's very. Yeah, that that I think there's like a. Um, yeah, that's that kind of amazes me too, and I think that beneath it, I. I I believe that along with a lot of our other regimentation of thinking and putting up these sort of like walls between things conceptually um, that part of that is that we have too often looked at um, the, that kind of um, highly technical music or just a tradition of music that's based on a composer who writes this thing that it, it's sort of a, it hides the fact that people when they're interpreting this music are all interpreting it a little bit of different, a little differently, like mm-hmm. 10 mm-hmm. people playing Chopin, you know, all sounds different. Right. And there's tiny elements of improv, even in that, just because you cannot mm-hmm. play it like someone else. Yeah. Yeah. You're all, you can only play it like yourself and, uh, and your phrasing is a little different. Um, and beyond that, I think there's an it, there's a, uh, A way that people hide that these composers essentially composition involves an enormous amount of improvisation that's what it is anyway that's what it is to me it 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 wasn't there before it comes from the ether or however into your hands and your mind yeah right out of of yourself and um you know a lot of times composition is of that what gets repeated right you know it gets played again (laughs) And it doesn't even have to get played again in my mind to be called a composition. You know, it's a moment. So to me, the improv is like a momentary composition that could be repeated or not. And, um, and I mean, I get that there's all sorts of other like sort of subtle differences you could draw between those things. But, but I think if people saw it that way a little bit more, that they too could be composers in the moment, you know, it would open up it would open up things, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's kind of amazing. And in that, in that instance, did she eventually, did you prod it? No, we pulled the plug. You pulled the plug.
0: Yeah. She's like, I, there's no way I could do this. Right. Uh, And we were like, yeah, I don't, you know, we don't want to force you to try to do this, you know? And, um, yeah, we just pulled a plug. I mean, we were kind of like an extra, we booked a whole day of music. Right. So ours was kind of like if there's time and we need to fill time, we can get up there and quickly plug in and stuff.
2: Yeah, uh, so yeah, we just did.
0: pulled the plug. <laughs> we we never tried it again. Um <laughs>
1: some things have to go that way.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, years ago, a uh, a buddy of mine, a really good friend of mine, Mark, uh who is classically trained. So he went to Eastman. So he just moved back to the area. He's down in Ithaca now and we're actually going to get together this weekend to jam. Um cool. so I met him, uh I was in like a math rock band back in the early 90s and he was uh in a band, I know not but there were three Eastman kids, but they were doing like total math rock, like Rodan-style math rock. Oh, yeah. Like, and we meet, and I'm like, wow, like you're the first kids at Eastman that I met that are doing anything outside of classical. Oh, and wow. So me and him started improv together, and I've always described this as like he's playing with a complete idiot, and he's cool with it. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. And he figures it you know what I mean? Like, but we right. just gel and he's got this very open mind about improv. Uh, and oh, even yeah. since then he went to, you know, teach at like um, Duke and uh, another place in North Carolina. And yeah. he started, you know, composing and stuff and had a group of compo- like experimental, modern composer type stuff, but then also still does, you know, lots of improv and it's oh, just nice. refreshing when you meet someone. I'm like you have a huge skill set and you use it in a lot of different ways, you know? Yeah. That's and you don't super... mind putting up with me, you know, <laughs> banging right. on a guitar or something.
1: You know? <laughs> yeah. Right. I, no, I love that. I think that's really great. And we need to, to, to um, you know, that makes some great things happen. I'll say yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel the same way, man. You know, I don't care what kind of schooling anybody's had or if they've had this or that. And there's always somebody too, who's had like way more, you know, of that stuff than then you might have had, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even if you're very academically accomplished or whatever, um, so I think um, that's that's a great thing, and it just it brings together so much, uh, or it brings out like really exciting things a lot, you know, especially people from these different orientations. Yeah, um, yeah, because a group, you know, it's easy for a group, I guess, right, to become like too static. People from the same sort of like. No, too like too like minded. Too much same experience can be weird, also. Um, so, but you put a little kid on a, a toy piano with the group or something, or you know, someone yeah, who does. Yeah. It could be anything. I just threw that out there, just because it's great to see kind of the way kids approach an instrument. How it's just so pure, you know, yeah. And just like sound and like pressing tactile things. Um,
0: my son, so, my son just um, found out today via text. I texted him while he was at school that. Uh, he's on a release he didn't know about. And I feel a little weird doing that to him. But <laughs> we were we were in our shed and I have a piano that's like taken apart. So I just have a soundboard sitting there. Oh, and man. I started like, I was doing some work out there. I was banging on it and he came in. He's like, what's going on? He's 15, you know, and he knows I'm in the, you know, my kids look at me like I'm the weirdo because I listen to weird music and oh. they listen to pop, you know, it's like the reversal of what usually is the parent complaining about the, right. the kids listening to a racket. And so we started, so he got into it. He started doing all these things on the, and I was recording it. I don't think he knew that. <laughs> so it's on a compilation that just came out this morning. Really? Oh, that's yeah. awesome. And I'm like, Hey, by the way, you're on a record. Just so you know. That's incredible. I mean, they probably, uh, both of my kids were probably have been on records of my own whenever oh, like you know even before that yeah moment. in the background or yelling or banging on something oh like, you're
1: right yeah, that kind of thing that's cool though so, yeah. you're giving him these avant-garde
0: <laughs> he's gonna be like i didn't give you permission to do that yeah <laughs> um that's 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 super excellent but yeah i love that I, that that uh that that
1: that, that, that you're like in, introducing them to what your your kind of music and yeah your kinds, your kinds of music i know it's broad but uh but absolutely, yeah. Putting putting things together.
0: The uh there's been cool collaborations actually in town. So you know Wendy Eisenberg, right? Yeah. Or know of yeah. her, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. We've met a few times. Yeah. Oh, okay, good. And...
0: Yeah. So she uh she lived here for a while. She was, she went to Eastman uh for guitar. Yeah. And her and my buddy Brian, I met her through my friend Brian, who's total just noise dude, you know, and he gets he basically plays different devices. I want mean, to, a lot of custom things that he orders from people like not even modular synth guy, you know, he's like, yeah, he got these instruments that are unique and they're their own thing. And they started a group together and it was just awesome. Uh, and that's how I got to ma- meet her. It was kind of this really neat kind of thing that oh, cool. it was like the crossing of like the weirdo noise scene in town with, you know, someone who's quote unquote classically trained, you know, Yeah, Um, in school and stuff like that. Um, Oh, that sounds really just great! Like she's gone on and done, just put out some amazing records uh, since you know moving to. I think she's in the Boston area now. I forget where she is. That sounds right. Yeah, absolutely. All kinds of things. Cool,
1: cool things she's doing. Yeah, Um, but that sounds very interesting too. Um, Did they did they get
0: to record? They have yeah. They have uh. They're called Victory for Upfish. Victory for Upfish. Upfish. Yeah, I have no idea what that means. That's um well yeah yeah
1: both hard and incredibly easy <laughs> <Yeah>. to remember.
0: <laughs> but they yeah, they put out uh they put out a couple things. Uh I think the self-release stuff and there might have been a couple other smaller labels that put out stuff. Yeah, Like CDRs, maybe cassette. Yeah, that's... Uh and they would play pretty regularly in town when she was still living here and uh she came back to town. Oh, well, it's probably two summers ago and did a solo set. They might have played together too, but they, I I caught part of the solo set. Yeah, it was after uh, we worked on the wound uh, comp. Oh yeah, uh, because she was on that too. That's Uh, right. Love that comp. Yeah. So
1: so honored to be on that. Oh, thanks. Um, Thanks. People really dig it too. I floated it to various people,
0: and they. Oh, good. Really big fans of it. Yeah, I'm still trying to sell some. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Good for you. (laughs) I'm stacked with those still, but that's. I'll keep spreading word too. (laughs) But um,
1: but yeah, it's uh, apropos that you mentioned Wendy because she's yeah one of those people too like you just don't i don't get the sense of these uh any kind of those conservative uh, boundaries you know as far as yeah like, no you would probably play with and uh what she's open to like stylistically you know
0: yeah um, i mean i could, you know oh. that early stuff and the stuff on wound is very you know Derek bailey-ish kind of sounding and then all of a sudden she put out this singer songwriter kind of record i'm like where that yeah. come from yeah um, it was really
1: cool idiosyncratic song
0: yeah structures and stuff right so you, you put out a re- your most recent record is the one with Nathan Bowles right? Is is yeah. I say his last name Bowles Bowles yeah okay it's just yeah. Bowles, right yeah yeah Um, um so how did you come up so Nathan plays in uh, Black Twig Pickers right from yeah, that? yeah so is he from where does he live like right now well
1: he's he lives in the Durham Raleigh area oh, okay North Carolina and um, yeah and he's he's I'm forgetting right now exactly where he was born was around there. I know he's moved around that part of the South, um, mm-hmm. but uh, he's from um, the Southeast and yeah. And we kind of um, met through, um, I remember we met at a show I was playing that he played at too. He was drumming in Steve Gunn's band, if you know Steve Gunn. Yeah. With, with two N's. Um, and they we played at this, this show in Milwaukee. I got invited to do it, the Cactus Club in Milwaukee. And um, that was about 2000, yeah, 2016, I want to say, something like that, it was shortly before or right after I had the the Esker record, the first one with Drag City. And uh, there was, I played solo and then there was a, a band, um, my buddy Jim's band played second, and then Steve Gunn played. And uh, I think that was when I first met Nathan. And again, we'd sort of heard of, heard of each other and uh, didn't really talk about doing anything at that time. But uh, later on in 2018, um, the Cropped Out Festival in Lexington or in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, mm-hmm. um, it turned out that they, they had, came down to where they had like one open set. And I think both me and Nathan had been um, reaching out to them about doing a set and they're like, hey, we're really sorry you guys, we get- ended up with this one set. Would you be amenable to maybe joining together for the set? <laughs>
0: Oh, and said,
1: yeah, we we kind of, you know, I dug Nathan's music already. And and I think I think the feeling was mutual. And uh, we were just, uh, you know, we started talking and sort of emailing tracks and stuff like that. And we ended up having a few improv ideas. And then we, you know, you had emailed MP3s of a few tracks each um, and that kind of thing. And uh, we just went down there. And that was about I want to say it's summer. It had to be unless it's just. Got awful hot all the time. It, <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> no, yeah. Cropped outs usually, was, I think, late summer, early fall, kind of. Well, like yeah, September. Yeah. So I think it's that's right. Yeah. Hot and muggy in Louisville. Yeah, it
1: wasn't insane, actually. Uh-huh. It was, it was, but it was up there. Um, and we got together. And it was really fun because we just met, you know, probably two hours. Of our rehearsal was about two hours before that. Probably one hour of which we got to rehearse in this little room and play. Um, but it went, came off really lovely. You know, we had a spot on the, on the river there, Missouri river. I forget which river, Kentucky river. Um, there's a river right there and we just had a spot and it was like, sun was going down six o'clock, you know, perfect. That's golden awesome. hour golden hour-y moments. And, um, so after that is when we started saying, Hey, you know, that's, there's something there. We should pursue this. And, uh, it's, it took a while, but we got, we got on it. So I'm really psyched with the results, you know, yeah, they, yeah. the new one keys.
0: So he played, you're saying he played drums in Steve Gunn? Damn. Yeah. With Steve
1: Gunn, he played drums. Oh, yeah. okay.
0: Oh, I didn't know um, that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I find myself forgetting that too sometimes. <laughs> but uh, cause I'm thinking of him as these other instruments he plays, you know?
0: Yeah. 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 I was, uh, I got to know the Pelt guys years ago. Um, Gosh, like late nineties, I met them through a friend of mine. So I got to know Mike Gangloff and Jack Rose and, uh, Pete, right. Best. I want to say his last name is Patrick best. Yeah. Patrick. And, uh, yeah. So I got to know those guys and then, uh, you know, they all started doing like Jack started doing solo stuff and moved to Philly. And then, uh, Mike started the black twig pickers. Um, and at the time it was like too normal for me. Um, you know, it's very traditional, like blue, bluegrass stuff. And I'm not sure Nathan was in it right off the bat. Uh, but then over the last couple of years, I've gotten kind of back into those things. And that's when I came across Nathan some more and start seeing his name in a lot of places. Right. Um, yeah. 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 So, the, um,
1: yeah, I know about that band, um, uh, through him, but I haven't, that's one I haven't heard a ton, uh, of their particular music, but yeah, uh, he is pretty, yeah, he's, he's, very he has very wide ranging interests. so um he definitely goes and deeper into traditional music than me and and knows a lot more about a lot of a lot of it i think but uh but also gets really experimental so yeah um
0: they do uh in that band they do a, a bunch of traditional, like most of the records are probably more than half traditional and then uh original compositions and the original ones though that's when they start kind of getting some drones and, you know, some more drone kind of background aspects of it into it. Um, It's, yeah, it's really kind of a neat, you know, refreshing look on that kind of music, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's good. We we went to, what was it called? There was a festival in North Carolina um, that Fahey played. It was just a few months, I think, before he died uh and the pelt guys played so we went down it was two nights and and they uh the festival uh, incorrectly organized in my mind uh the festival they put all the there was a lot of laptop music of course at the time and i was into a lot of it but they put them all on one night and so like you know halfway through you're like sick of watching guys on laptops just sit there yeah it's not engaging it sounds great but like after a while you're like uh, I need to see something and then right. they put all the kind of a acu- quote quote acoustic instrument people on the second night and that was Pelt and uh, and John Fahey and uh, Alan Licht played and it was oh great. Alan great <clears throat> but during the day like you'd be bombing around like either Chapel Hill or uh, Carborough um, and the Pelt guys were all busking at different places and they were all like at that point I'm like what are these guys doing like i knew them as a drone you know they started as a rock band and then they became kind of a very drone like middle eastern sounding kind of stuff and then all of a sudden like jack's out there doing crazy finger picking guitar work and mike mike is out there doing like banjo work and i'm like wait what's going on what the and that was sort of the start of this like each of them doing these new offshoots of what Pelt was, which Pelt was always known as like this meditative kind of drone. Band. Yeah. How um, cool. How yeah, cool! It was, to it was neat to see that. Threads, yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: Pulling this all, all yeah. together. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. It was a neat little debut that they did. The very informal, like on the side of the street, not in a venue or anything, you know? Yeah. I might have, I might have that totally wrong too. They may have been playing shows like that for a year or two, but not knowing. Sure. It, you know, sure. But,
1: <laughs> but you know, we just, we can only speak from
0: when we enter the, yeah. the theater. Yeah, you know, yeah.
1: <laughs> it seems to be this way or that way.
0: You so, know. with the the Nathan record, did fun. you guys um, write a lot of that? Uh, separate it, and then you traded tracks, or did you get together, or how how'd that work out?
1: Yeah, we're they're pretty much um, yeah they're pretty much we uh, separate songs uh, except for the Dry Rations one and two are were basically based on improvs and um or maybe like a, a brief scale that Nathan had and then we improv on that um then there's two covers um I see God and uh and Ida Mea. and then um there's Nathan has two originals and I have four out of those remaining six so oh, okay um but it was yeah they were pretty much done done separately but we it was nice to do those couple improvs as well in there and um and we arrangement wise i think we were pretty we, I think we all added a lot to the arrangements as a whole, you know? So, so that was pretty open.
0: Yeah. And when, when did you record that? Like you, you recorded that together in the, you know, in the same location or. Yeah, we okay. did. That
1: was um, just prior to COVID, the COVID year kind of taking over. So that was, we pretty much wrapped it up in, um I believe it was January, February of 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right before March. And <laughs> there was uh or even into March, February, March, um, right before things mm-hmm. kind of shut down. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, we just sort of got that done. And then we had that, this, you know, that quiet year to work it, on the mixing and stuff like that. And, uh, Nathan, the, quiet, he, the quiet year, that's a nice way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> quiet year in which all gigs were canceled. So, but it was, uh, I, you know, I don't know. I saw a lot of people putting records out and it's been difficult. You know, some of them, a lot of them seem to drop kind of quickly with just all of the the chaos going on of this year. So, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's been, um, I was dubious as to whether we should do it or not in the one way, but then a lot of people have been responding really well to it, to the record and all of that. So yeah, yeah. getting a, a good amount of feedback and reviews and stuff, positive stuff. So, um, so I'm grateful for that. You know, it could have been could have been nothing. Just a yeah, a big a sound of silence and no. Yeah, reaction.
0: I mean, at, at first, everyone was like, "Oh, let's hold off," or you know, putting in a record out's not the most important thing to do right now. Uh, but then after a while, everyone's like, "Well, we're gonna be in this for a while. Might as well get it out there." And you know, can't tour on it, but exactly. Uh, yeah, that was a big thing. Nothing too. else to do. right
1: yeah hopefully that was a big thing too i think was just saying well we can't tour and that's going to be a drag um and because that really helps you get the music out there and sell the records too and get the interest in in it um but my hope is for really everybody that put out a record during that time that they can um play shows and and tour again and you know maybe that music will still be treated like it's new like it just came out
0: yeah right yeah yeah. Um,
1: hopefully i mean it kind of makes sense people would want to hear what you were recently doing live and that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What are your plans? Are you guys like, are you Nathan planning on getting out there at some point or you've other plans with other people?
1: Um, Yeah, Joe, we're looking at it now. So I don't know um, nothing concrete to say yet about gigs, (laughs) but um, we're looking at it and, um, and there's been basically that, you know, we're throwing out some hooks right now to see what we can do for the fall and for summer, fall and uh, solo too, you know, there has been, this has been kind of a good week because a bunch of uh, stuff like in town and, and um, some other things have been talked about and come my way a bit. So it, it feels like on that front, things are opening a little, I have a show in Chicago, actually June 18th, a solo show, at the constellation here. Oh, nice. Which is a great venue. So um, that's going to be quite fun. That'll be uh, for an audience. And it's, streamed as well so um that's on the 18th and yeah it it does feel strange i mean i feel like with all the one thing i just have to say is like with all the um all of the kind of loss in the air too and the sort of grief and the you know all of the the, the chaos and reevaluation of things that's kind of gone on um i'm trying to keep my i mean i'm really enthusiastic and, and looking forward to it but I'm, I'm trying to put everything into perspective to some degree, like, like, like you said, you know, um, there's so much stuff that, that's happened. Um, music is, is important and it can be even part of like our rejuvenation. But um, at the same time, I, I think we can take a measured approach to sort of getting back on the road.
2: Yeah, right, uh, but, right,
1: right. You know, it's, I think people themselves even have to get used to the idea about going out again and that sort of thing and, and seeing what it means to be social um, in that way with a lot of people. And, and uh, you know, I don't know, there's just a lot, I guess it just, there's a lot of uh, negotiation of of what we've been through going on. So that, that seems like you can't, something you can't rush. I'll just say that. Um, but I'm, I am looking forward to playing some of these songs. Cause I have, I feel like I have this set of music that I haven't played live really yet. So that's, that's kind of exciting. I mean, I'll play other stuff too, but uh, to have a bunch of new songs to play is, is pretty, um, exciting.
0: Yeah. Do you have a new record, uh, in the works, um, or planned like with the label and stuff or,
1: um, mostly, uh, I have a lot of music, which is cool. I don't have a lot of, I have a lot of demos recorded and stuff like that. So, um, it'll, it'll happen at some point, uh, but I'm just sort of amassing the, looking at this, this, uh, bit of material and seeing yeah, what yeah. I want, want to do and developing and, uh, thinking about the arrangements and, and whether I want that to be, you know, a solo thing or with a band or whatever. Right. Right. So, uh, yeah, I'm just kind of in that phase, but that's a nice place to be. Just if you have some ideas, you feel pretty good. Yeah. 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 You, you know, like uh, <laughs> there's ink in the pen, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so it's going to, you know, it, it'll be fun to evaluate as things go on. Just kind of, but I've been playing every day for the whole year even. So that's really good
0: what have you been listening to lately? Is there any, uh, music that you're particularly excited about from other, uh, artists, new or old or,
1: you know, gosh, let me see. Um, (laughs) I'm trying to think what, uh, well, yeah, I've been listening to a lot of various kind of like, you know, records from Acme records in Milwaukee. We just went up there. So I've been listening to a bunch of like Indian stuff. Um, I forget that. I feel bad. I forget this guy's name is like, she's one of the rare, like guitarists that you hear in Indian music. And it's an old record too. Um, but,
0: uh, Acme records, the record store, uh, the record store. Yeah. The one that's Acne. been around
1: for. Yeah. Ever? Acne record Emporium oh, okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: I was never there, but I, yeah, I've known about it forever. Yeah.
1: I, I'm trying to think what the main things have kind of been that, well, I would, you know, I was going back to like, say, uh, Archie Shep, like Blase, which I love, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. and Sonny Shirak, um, uh, Black Woman, and Ask the Ages. And those are two that we've been spinning a bit lately. There was a bunch of, uh, uh, yeah, a bunch of other Indian records too, um, some Ali Akbar Khan, um, Emperor of Melody. Oh, which yeah. So, so amazing. This guy, His just melodic thoughts, you know, is so like supreme. And, um, there's been so yeah, I haven't been listening to so much super new stuff lately, or I'm just just forgetting it in the moment. It's always like that, right? You forget it. Yeah, yeah. it it's hard to recall. But um uh David Pajo, um, live from the shark cage, which is not live, which oh. is an amazing double record, you know. Yeah, that Paho, yeah. And and that that's been so incredible. Um been listening to some Yoko Ono. And uh, yeah, so kind of a kind of a range of old and new, I guess, and across across the spectrum. Um, if yeah, if next time I'm gonna have my list of ten ready. <laughs> no, such a pleasure speaking with you, Joe.
0: Yeah, it was great yeah. catching up with you. Yeah. Hey, welcome back. Hope you enjoyed the interview. I want to thank Bill again for giving me the time and being a great guest. He's a super nice guy to talk to. So yeah, we started the uh, show off with a uh, track Powder Mill Park from his Esker LP on Drag City. And Powder Mill Park is a park near the house he grew up in here in Rochester, New York. What you're hearing in the background here is uh, from his brand new LP with Nathan, Nathan Bowles called Dowsing. The track is called Dowsing. The LP is called Keys. It's on Drag City. Uh, and then after this, I'm going to play uh, four tracks Uh, featuring Bill. So after this it's Bill McKay solo with a track called Arcadia from his Fountain Fire LP on Drag City and then I'm going to play a Riley Walker track from his brand new record Course in Fable that features Bill. Uh, The track is called Pond Scum Ocean and that's on Husky Pants Then I'm going to play Bill's contribution to the Carbon Records compilation Wound that I put out a few years ago. It's a double LP comp of guitar players And his track is called Living in the Movie. And then we're going to wrap things up with uh, a collaboration he did with Riley Walker called Dragonfly. And that's from their LP, Spider Beetle Bee, on Drag City. So thanks again for tuning in. Uh, Go check us out on myteethneedattention.com. I'm on Instagram, at myteethneedattention. Uh, Rate and review us if you can on your podcast podcast platform of choice we're up on apple podcast and spotify podcast and we're also up on mixcloud.com slash carbon joe tunis and those are just so you know those are mixed in with my radio show called numbers um so if you subscribe there you'll get kind of both in your stream Ho- hopefully you like that it's pretty uh, the number show is pretty similar to what i play here so So thanks again, and uh, enjoy these tracks from uh, Bill McKay and Company. All right, take care, and we'll see you next time around. I have an interview coming up with Mary Lattimore in the next episode, so uh, keep your eyes open for that. All right, take care, and have a great one. Bye.